Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is October 23rd, 2004. It is a Wednesday, and this is episode 1003 of the Survival Podcast. One of our all-time favorite guests is returning, Mr. Stephen Harris. He's going to be talking to us today about choosing generators for various backup power applications. Everything from little bitty ones to great big giant ones that can power a city block and how to make sure that they're sustainable for the long term from a year to ten years. That was a challenge I put out to him. He's met it in spades. We're going to actually have him on two days in a row. Today we're going to be talking about the generators themselves, and tomorrow we're going to talk about hooking them up, powering them, etc. All right, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, J.M. Bullion. You know, when uh, when we had to make a change in sponsorship, and I, I wanted to make sure that we had a good, solid sponsor for silver and gold, Uh, I went out on a hunt, and I went out and I looked for somebody that I thought would do a really great job and provide great pricing, and I found J.M. Bullion, uh, a company that, while small and, and run, you know, family-run, uh, has a great reputation and been around a long time, and yet price-wise competes and effectively beats big companies like Monex and Atmex. Check them out today at jmbullion.com. Next up today, the Free State Project. Did you know you can vote with your feet? There's a lot of ways that we vote. One way we vote is with our money. When we spend money with Company A versus Company B, we're saying we want Company A and the values they represent and the products they represent, etc. We vote in the ballot box and we pick people that run our government at the local, the state, and the federal level. Well, the foundation of a republic is free movement between the member states of the republic. And one way we can vote is by saying, my state's doing stupid stuff, and I've had enough of that. I'm going to move to a state that's doing less stupid stuff. Well, you can do that by moving New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project of a group of thousands of people that are working to make New Hampshire the model of the republic, the freest state in the union. And you can be part of that. And they are an incredible group of people. I can't wait till this winter when I go up uh, and hang out with them at Liberty Forum again. They are the most awesome people I've ever met in my life. But maybe like me, you can do stuff like that, but you just it's not in the cards for you to move to New Hampshire. You can still help. There's a lot of ways to do that. You can contribute. You can be take part in their events. You can blog about them. You can let other people know about them. Uh, you can financially support them, or you can do creative things like, here's my creative thing. They're not really a sponsor of the show. I'm their sponsor. I've given them the sponsorship uh, slot to help them further their mission because I so believe in what they're doing. Check them, check them out today at freestateproject.org with the philosophy uh, that they share with the world is liberty in our lifetime. Next up, remember to check out tspcopper.com for some really cool copper medallions. Uh, you'll find all types of really creative designs and really cool stuff there. Check it out today, tspcopper.com. MSB members, remember, you get uh, 10% off all your purchases of copper at tspcopper.com. Uh, so go to your MSB private area and look up your discount code before you order there to make sure you get that. Last but not least, that's just one great reason to join the Member Support Brigade. Guys, you join the Member Support Brigade, you get discounts to TSP Copper, like 35 other really great vendor stuff you're probably buying anyway, then your membership pays for itself. Oh, but when you log in the first time, you can download, well, $150 worth of ebooks. Well, that pays for your membership for three years. 
Uh, so it really is a product that pays for itself, and yet you're helping to support our show at about 18.3 cents an episode. If you're a military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder like, say, a paramedic, I have a special service discount for you to thank you for your service. Before you join, email me, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Put service discount in the subject line and uh, tell me who you are and what you're doing. Or if you're prior service, who you are and what you did when you did it. And uh, I will send you the special discount code so that you can save even more money to thank you for your service. Last but not least today, I want to do want to throw in again, jack at the survivalpodcast.com is my email address. It is the best way to get a hold of me. If you want me to pay attention to you, then in the subject line, put two words and make one of them four and the third one jack. That is the format that will always get your email screened. Uh, I try to read all my mail as it is. I don't answer all my mail, but I promise you, emailing me at that address is not some fake address. It's not some additional. It's the email I use to correspond with people every single day. It's my real email, and it will work better than a private message on the forum, a Facebook thing, all of that stuff. You want to get in touch with me, you want to get an answer from me, email me, and just understand, due to volume, I can't answer everybody, but that's your best shot. With that wrapped up, let's go ahead and get into our main topic today. Uh, once again, welcoming back one of our all-time uh, highest-appearing guests, and with good reason, because he brings so much information to the table, Mr. Stephen Harris. Hey, Steve, welcome back to the Survival Podcast, man. Jack, well, the pleasure to be uh, back. Uh, I love TSP and all the listeners. I keep on getting more and more questions every time from uh, your listeners they email me and uh, this show is going to be one of those jam-packed shows Jack in fact I might be speaking a little bit faster so if you need to hear something I just rewind a little bit and listen to it twice because I'm only going to go through it once this is going to be one of my most dangerous shows I have ever done This show can be very dangerous to you, and if you do something you should not do, you'll wind up dead. How's that for a warning, Jack? That's pretty good, man. Keep going. <laughs> for, for the people listening, I want you to know what I'm going to talk about in this show. So I'm going to be covering something that you might want to hear. What I'm going to cover in this show, which is going to be a little bit longer, I'm going to cover all generators. I'm going to cover big ones, small ones, gasoline, diesel, natural gas, propane fuel, conversions to natural gas and propane, where to buy them converted, where to get the conversion kits. I'm going to cover how to hook them up to your house with transfer switches. I'm going to cover backfeeding. I'm going to cover seven different types of generators, regular generators, inverter generators, two-cycle generators, PTO generators, whole house generators, generators. Generators on trailers and very long life generators, like ones you might use for 10 years. And I'm going to tell you how to hook up the natural gas from your house or your propane from your pig to your generator. Well, Steve, when we look at uh, a list like that, how do you, how does the average person out there even start to decide which one of those particular generators is right for them from all of these types you've listed? I mean, there's people out there rewinding right now just to hear the seven different types of generators. So where do they start? Jack, um, you got to start at one place before you do. And there's all type of generators out there, as I've said, and I'm going to cover them all for you. But here is the first and most important question that needs to be asked. Do you need a big generator or do you need a small generator? At any given time, even though you have a 150-amp circuit breaker electrical box, which would equate to 18 kilowatts, 
Most homes are only drawing about 1 kilowatt or 1,000 watts in power at any time, unless your central AC is on, and then that's a lot more, or unless your deep well well motor is on for your water, then that's a lot more. So we'll forget about your central AC for the moment, but I'll cover it again in a little bit. So the question starts to be with what do you want to power when there's no power? Well, in one of our previous shows, we covered on how to power a modern refrigerator, and it only draws between 100 and 200 watts when running. Old refrigerators and freezers could draw as much as 1,500 watts when running. New freezers and refrigerators draw only between 100 and 200 watts when running, especially if they are Energy Star rated refrigerators and freezers. So you'll want to power your refrigerator and freezer. You'll want to power your big screen TV, and that's another 200 to 400 watts. Uh, your direct TV or satellite box is about 50 watts. You want to charge your cell phones and AA batteries. It's about 5 watts. And a few watts for other little electronics you'll want to plug in, plus some fans. So there's 50 watts. We can come up with 200 for So what we come up with is 200 for the fridge, 200 for the freezer, 400 maximum for your TV and satellite dish, 20 for your, iPod, for your iPhone, iPad, and AA battery charger, 50 for fans, and that equals about 920. Watts, and your refrigerator and excuse me, <laughs> and your refrigerator and freezer are not going to be running at the same time. They're going to be one on and one off, and you alternate back and forth. So that's really a steady load of 500 watts or less. So let's make you more comfortable. Let's power a 5,000 BTU window AC unit to keep one room in the house nice and cool for you for when the hurricane knocks out your power in the humid hot south. The AC unit takes 5 amps, so 5 amps times 120 volts is 600 watts. And we want our ice maker going that I talked about in the last show. So that's 200 watts max when it's making ice. And we want a bread maker going to make fresh hot 2-pound loaves of bread in 58 minutes from just some flour, water, sugar, and salt and yeast. And that draws about 300 watts in 58 minutes. So if everything was running near the same time, that kicks us up to about 2,000 watts or 2 kilowatts. Now, remember, this 2 kilowatt number is the key thing. This puts you firmly in the field of a 2 kilowatt generator, which will allow you to use one of the newer fancy and quiet inverter-style generators that I'll cover in detail in a bit. Or lets you use a really cheapo two-cycle engine generator that can cost as little as $105 at Harbor Freight. If you plug in your refrigerator for two hours and plug your freezer in for two hours and keep the 600-watt AC running uh, all the time, run some LED and compact fluorescent lights, I mean the ones that are like 13 watts max for a CF bulbs and 5 watts for an LED, you're going to get away with a lot less than a 1-kilowatt generator. Now, real quick, before we move on there, we're looking at a 1K generator, but don't we have an issue there with some of these startup devices with peak versus running load? So is it not better to size a generator a little bit bigger than you think you need? Yeah, true, true. That is true. But I'm saying if you do what I just said and just sure. run one refrigerator, one freezer, some lights, and one small AC unit, you can get away with a one kilowatt, $129 generator. Uh, your Energy Star refrigerator doesn't have much of a startup load on it. They're using a real small compressor that runs more often instead of a big compressor that runs less often. 
And so there's really not anything that I mentioned that's going to have a startup load. The biggest startup load would probably be your AC unit over about three seconds when it goes and turns on. But again, I'm only talking about a 5,000 watt uh, AC, 5,000 BTU, sorry, <laughs> big difference there, 5,000 BTU AC unit, and that's going to be running on relatively low amount of power with a small compressor. So you might start your AC unit up and then start everything else up. What's really interesting there is you just described exactly what we did in the last power outage we had. It lasted about a week. We had one room cooled uh, with a relatively small portable AC unit and, and had both TVs if we wanted them on. And uh, we have a chest freezer and a refrigerator, and there's just no sense to try to run them both at the same time, even though my generator is powerful enough that you didn't even – like when I had everything going, you didn't even hear it really bogged down. So right. it's interesting that you're recommending exactly the way we ran. Uh, the one kind of uh, thing that we glossed over a little bit there is a well pump, though. A lot of folks like me, we have these deep water well pumps, high draw. Uh, what do we do about that? Well, Jack, that is what changes the whole equation of whether you're going to be big or are you going to be small. Are you going to be more than two kilowatts or are you going to be less than two kilowatts? Rural people are going to want their to power their well pumps. And for a 40-gallon per minute to a 90-gallon per minute unit ranging from 20 feet down to 100 feet in depth, you're looking at between a two-horsepower and a five-horsepower motor. Now, there are 746, we'll say 750 watts per horsepower. So that's 1,500 to 3,800 watts right there alone just for your well motor. Well motors are also 240 volts, so you'll need a generator with 120 volts as well as 240 volts AC output on it. And most of the bigger ones, like 7 kilowatt and 10 kilowatt generators, have this on it. So depending upon the horsepower of your well motor and how much surge you'll have when starting up, you're talking about wanting a 5,000 watt, a 5 kilowatt to 8 kilowatt generator because you could be drawing a max of 4,000 watts of power on your well motor when it's running full out. And then your refrigerator, freezer, small AC unit, and everything on top of that. So the well water pump squarely puts you into the category of needing a big generator, 5 to 10 kilowatts. My prior description of just AC unit, bread maker, lights, fan, iPhone puts you in the category of a small generator, 2 kilowatts or less. Now, same thing if you want to run your forced air furnace in the wintertime, like what we all have here in the north. The furnace itself, okay, it takes nothing for power, okay? It's just turning on the igniter, turning on some valves, and letting the natural gas flow in. It don't take nothing. There, but there's the blower, the big fans and uh, scroll cage blower that moves the air through the house that is part of the furnace, and it's about 1,000 to 1,500 watts on its own, usually around 1,500 watts. It's on its own circuit. So wanting to power your furnace will put you squarely into the category of a big generator, something more than 2,000 watts. Although... You could get away with running a 2-kilowatt generator and run your furnace in the wintertime because you can run your furnace for an hour or two and then run some lights in your TV, uh, keeping, your refrigerator, keeping you under 2 kilowatts, and then turn the furnace off, plug in your refrigerator and freezer. You can dance around like this. But, uh, hey, Jack, isn't this kind of funny? It's wintertime, and you run a generator to keep your house warm, but because the house is now warm, you need to run a generator to keep your refrigerator and freezer inside your house cold. 
Isn't yeah. That a paradox. Yeah, and it just makes me think of how we used to always throw our beer in the snow because it got cold faster, and that maybe there's a solution there if you really need heat. Um, my thought on this though is that if you're in that kind of zone, there's just not that huge of a difference in cost between a 2K generator and like a, like I have a 6500K generator, and it only cost me about five or six hundred bucks. So I just think that if somebody's at all on the edge, maybe it makes sense to just step up. Yeah, definitely. You can step up. Uh, the one advantage of being under 2K is you can go with the newer inverter type generators, which are a lot sm- smarter, a lot smaller, a lot lighter, and a lot cheaper. You know, but you get that for paying a premium. They're about a grand in price. That's why I'm saying big or small. So you can go with the cheaper two cycles, or you can go with a higher quality inverter. Or you know that you're going with the generator like you have right now, a regular generator that's going to be 5, 6, 8, 10, 12,000 watts. Yeah, you're right, because like those little 2K Hondas, they're expensive, but that thing runs, it sounds like, I don't know, a printer is about as loud as one of those things. So they are really quiet, and that is a big advantage. And my statement has always been, you know, go out and get yourself a small generator set and later on step up to a big one. And then you got the two is one, one is one. none thing, right? Yeah. But now that we have big and small defined, what are the types of generators out there that are available for people? Well, there are about seven different categories of generators out there right now. There are one, regular generators, one that we most commonly think of, the one Jack just mentioned that he has. There are two inverter generators, three two-cycle generators that are very inexpensive. Four, PTO, or power takeoff generators that uh, run off your tractor. Five, we have whole house generators. Six, generators that are so big they come on trailers. You'll find a lot of these in military surplus. And I'm going to add a seventh category, very long-life generators, generators that will last for years or a decade then don't forget there's gasoline, diesel, natural gas, and propane fuels for these generators. I'm going to cover those as well and how to connect these generators to your house. Jack, you ready to start? Yeah, man, let's get on with it. Okay, here we go. Number one, regular generators. These have a fuel-powered engine turning a generator head, and it has speed control to keep it at the right speed all the time. Jack mentioned his generator doesn't make much noise, but when you plug in a load, you'll hear it go up, and you hear it go down in noise level because it's keeping its speed. This is the traditional type of generator that most of us see and think of. It's directly, it directly outputs 120 volts or 240 volts directly from the generator itself. Cheaper 5-kilowatt generator found at Sam's or Costco will run about 500 bucks. A 7,500-watt generator will run about $950. This is going to be the most inexpensive, best generator for you to get if you have a well water pump or a furnace that you have to run. Plus, it will be able to run your central AC as well. Central ACs are about 5 kilowatts. You got an 8-kilowatt generator, you can power it. It might not be able to run your well motor at the same time as your central AC, but if it's a five-horsepower motor and your AC is on at the same time, it might do it. It will uh, it'll only run the generator, this regular generator, will only run your central AC or your well motor if it has a 240-volt AC output on it, okay? 
Otherwise, you're stuck with 120 volts and you're stuck with window units. So if you got to power the big stuff, look for a generator that has 240 volts out. It'll also have 120 volts, 120 volts, but look for it with with 240. It is common to have a manual transfer switch next to your breaker or fuse box that will disconnect you from the grid and connect the house to the generator safely. It's just one big switch that you can throw. These transfer switches are off the shelf at Home Depot and Lowe's, cost between $300 and $400 each, and might cost between $100 and $500 to install. It depends upon your electrician and his rates and how friendly you are with him and how easy it is to install in your electrical panel. If you got an old panel and not much room, he's going to charge you a lot more. If you got a newer panel and plenty of room to mount everything and wire it in, he's going to charge you a lot less. If you are going to try and power your entire house with these methods, we will be discussing today, you are going to want 100% a generator that has a 240-volt output on it. If you are just going to run extension power cords from the generator to all the stuff you want to power in your house, you can go with a generator that only has 120 volts on it. Please note, a generator that has 240 volts will also have two very high current circuits for 120 volts. That means you've got plenty of 120-volt power, enough for your window AC units, your microwave, refrigerator, freezer, all at the same time. So you're not losing anything by going to a generator with 240-volt output on it. It's actually more flexible. What's yours got, Jack? Uh, I have a, a 240 and four 120s. Um, and I wanted to add to what you're saying about the extension cords. Yeah. The smartest thing you can do if you're going to take that approach is invest in good quality heavy gauge extension cords, multiple lengths, 100 foot lengths, 50 foot lengths, so that you can deal with your house. Um, and what we did is we have one of our Tupperware bins we keep in our shed. Every single cord that's for that generator set is in that bin, wrapped up neatly at all times, where if we have to deploy the generator, it's it's almost like just snapping together pre-planned things. We already know where everything reaches to, and if you're not going to use a transfer switch, because we're moving, we're not going to pay to have somebody put one in. Um, I just think that if you don't add that to it, you're going to be really unhappy when you're trying to figure out where all your cords are. And if if we need one out of that group, it goes directly back in there when it's done being used. Yeah, good discipline, good preparedness discipline is very crucial to doing things in a disaster because usually when a disaster hits, you're cold, wet, confused, you could be bleeding, your kids are crying, you're hungry and thirsty, it's raining on you, and you're pulling out your generator that hasn't been started in two years, and you're trying to find the extension cord, that's not a good thing. Doing what Jack said is the right way to do it. Have it dedicated to it. I'd also say start the gone thing every couple of months. Just run it for a couple of minutes. Uh, it'll make your life happier, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I'd I say once a month. but Yeah. Okay, number two type of generator. A newer type of generator on the market is called an inverter generator. Honda and Yamaha are famous for making these, and they are generally smaller generators. They are one, two, or three kilowatts in size, and they have a whole plastic case or shroud around them, generally looking a lot sexier than the regular open generator that you're familiar with. These actually have fuel-powered engines turning a DC generator internally. You'll never know it. And it generates high-current DC voltage that then goes to an electronic inverter that then converts this to full sine wave AC power. This is why it's called an inverter generator. It's really kind of like a hybrid car without the battery. It works very well. 
The smallest these come in is usually one kilowatts, with larger ones being around three kilowatts. These generators are known for being efficient, so they are better on fuel. They're light. They're usually 22 to 44 pounds, and they're known for being very quiet, especially when they're running at lower loads. It is quite normal to have a conversation right next to one, especially when it's running on low, and they're also generally much more expensive than a regular generator. If you want a lightweight, portable, quiet generator, this is the one you get. The Honda EU-1000i, 2000i, 3000i are the most famous of these generators. Yamaha makes a good line of them. I personally own the Honda. Uh, Briggs & Stratton also makes one. Generac makes one. Uh, other companies are trying to compete with Honda and Yamaha, but if you go on Amazon and you read their reviews, they're nowhere as near as good as the five-star reviews you're going to get for the Honda and Yamaha. If you see a generator that is covered all in plastic and a handle you can pick it up with, it's one of these inverter-type generators. Since the inverter generator is computer-controlled, yes, there's electronics in it, it controls the throttle very well and it follows the load. Plus, the electronics make up for fluctuation and voltage, so it keeps a steady, smooth output. These are the most advanced generators out there. They're also the most expensive. These generators can cost around $1,000 for a Honda or a Yamaha line and $500 to $750 for other names that are trying to compete with them. Remember, these generators are generally around 2 kilowatts in size, whereas regular generators will be around 5 kilowatts in size. This would be the highest quality generator you can get. If you were in the small category of generators and needing 2,000 watts or less, although there is a 3,600 unit uh, EU Honda, they actually come on wheels so you can move them around easier, that's going to be $2,000 to $4,000 for that generator. So if you're in a small category and you want high quality, the inverter generators, especially the Honda or the Yamaha, is the way that you should go. You know, and I'm looking at the retail on these right now, and obviously you can usually get them a little under retail, um, but a, a 2,000 watt generator like you're describing from Honda, which is, in my opinion, about the best of them out there, is about uh, $2,200. Um, a 3000 is going to run about $2,600. And if somebody said to me, I need more than 2000 but I don't need a tremendous amount more, I would probably tell them you'd be better off buying two of the dadgone 2000s than the 3000 Um Because two is one and one is none. You can run them from different locations and, and what have you. But, um, uh, but Yeah, the Honda, the 2000, the EU 2000Is are around $1,200. At most locations, the thing about the Hondas, there's a tie-in kit, so you can actually run two Honda EU 2000Is side by side, and they talk to each other, okay? And, oh, they, and, and they make 4,000 watts of output between the two. That's unique to the Honda. That kicks the ass out of the 3K, which costs almost as much as the two of them together. But yep. overall, man, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's really cool. I'm gonna have to look into that. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, they can be pretty expensive. What's the cheapest generator out there? Okay. If somebody says, I just don't have much money, I need something. Okay, here you go. I'm going to tell you the cheapest. It's really cheap, and it works, okay? <laughs> the cheapest, cheapest generate there, uh, generator out there is an 800-watt two-cycle engine generator from Harbor Freight for $129. Many times you'll find this 800-watt two-cycle generator on sale for 89 bucks. 
Now it's 900 watts of surge, 800 watts continuous power, so it's really going to be in the small category. Now Northern Tool, which is northerntool.com, has a 1,000 watt continuous power generator. It's two cycle as well for 160 bucks. These small generators are not California Air Resource Board or CARB <laughs> compliant, so they are not for sale to people in California. Hey, you live there, you vote for the people in office, they make the laws, don't complain to me, okay? Or drive to Nevada and pick one up. Or drive to Nevada and pick one up. <laughs> Remember, these two-cycle generators need oil mixed in with the gasoline. A two-cycle engine is just like your weed whacker engine or your snapper mower or your really powerful uh, leaf blower. It's a two-cycle motor. Uh, like a chainsaw, as okay. You gotta mix the oil in with the gasoline, and uh, so you need gasoline and you need oil. It's called two-cycle oil. It's on the shelf at the store. But if you are on a budget and you just want something for the occasional power failure, and it's not going to be running for weeks and weeks on end, this will work for you. This is certainly better than nothing. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they're not designed to run for a real long time, but they do work. I played around with a couple of them. They start pretty easy. And one of the best uses of these things is kind of an entry into your your backup power where people are just getting started on a budget. And if you combine that with, let's say, a backup battery system that you always have on trickle charge from the grid. Hang on. That's my next power. Yeah, that's my next show, Jack. All right, my, all right. My, but my, I mean, that's just one way I see to use them. But you know, I, I'll tell you what: it's better to have it than not have it, right? Yeah, it's better. It's better to have it than not have it. On my next show is all going to be about batteries and battery banks. I'm going to give away a lot of Stephen Harris secrets on this one. But do you know what the most expensive type of generator is, Jack? Uh, probably not having one at all or trying to find one in the middle of a big blackout. That's right. The most expensive generator is no generator. Yeah, people will talk to me about satellite phones. They go, it's a buck a minute. That's expensive. I say, yeah, there's one thing more expensive than a buck a minute, and that's no, that's no signal. That's no, no signal, phone. and you, you know that you were holding stock in the power company that's currently down, and you can't call your broker to dump it. How expensive is that? Yeah, or your leg is broken, you're bleeding in your middle of nowhere, and you need a rescue. That's when stuff becomes priceless. Now, section number four, our fourth type of generators are PTO generators. I had lots of people write to me about these, and that is why I put this section in, and in detail. PTO stands for power takeoff. It means that it connects to the power takeoff of your farm or lawn tractor, and it turns a generator. The PTO is a spot on the rear of the engine. It's not the drive shaft to the wheels. that you connect a small power takeoff shaft to. It looks like a drive shaft to the engine, and then the PTO turns it, and this turns the generator, or it turns a grain grinder, or it turns a water or trash pump, It'll turn a post hole digger. It'll turn your mower deck or a hydraulic pump for log splitters or other farm machinery. I mean, there's no end to the uh, stuff that goes on to a PTO. Just go to um, tractor supply store and you'll see a million different things. These generators can be very inexpensive and, and affordable generators because you're not buying the engine. The engine is your tractor that you already own. Some 
large long tractors also have a PTO on them. You are not going to have to, you are going to have to size your PTO generator to the tractor, okay? And when you go look up a PTO generator, the specs will say it has a minimum PTO shaft horsepower needed to make its highest output. So a 7-kilowatt PTO generator needs 14 horsepower off the PTO shaft to operate. A 27, okay, keep in mind, I said 27-kilowatt PTO generator will need about 48 horsepower off the PTO to operate. At northerntool.com, which is just one of the places I looked, okay, they're an okay company. I'm not saying rush there. I'm saying look around. <clears throat> the seven kilowatt PTO generator cost a grand, a thousand bucks. Now that is about the same price or a bit more. You can buy a regular generator for. I mean, Jack got his uh, 6,500 for about 500 bucks. Okay. Yeah, it was five or six hundred dollars, something right. like that. So okay, so it can be a little more expensive or about the same, but the 27 kilowatt PTO generator costs only about three grand. Okay, contrast that a 27 kilowatt PTO for three grand to the same size diesel generator is going to cost between eight and ten thousand dollars. That's because okay. the, the the six to, six to seven thousand dollars worth of motors in your tractor instead of in your generator. That's right, exactly. <laughs> So that's where the savings is. But oh, I got you. But don't forget, you'll also need something like a small flat trailer, uh, you know, to mount the generator to to pull behind the tractor. It doesn't just bolt onto the tractor. So there's a few more dollars right there. So this is I want you to see where the advantage is. Now, however, what does a normal homeowner need 27 kilowatts for? I said 27. Okay. Home building of your own electric chairs. Yeah, there you go. That's for the liberals around you who come by and say, I hear you got some extra food. Can I have some? Be nice. All right. Remember, I'm the one who said it's cheaper to feed your neighbors than it is to electrocute. I mean, shoot, shoot them. Uh, okay, you don't need 27 kilowatts. Your house is only drawing about one kilowatt on average. This is much more of a farm tool than it is a home power tool. Of course, if your preparedness location is a farm that you live on, then this would work very fine for you. For an expert panel question I just answered, which you'll probably hear on Friday, I spoke to Justin on his goat farm in Georgia. This would be a very good solution for him. He'll be able to run all his well pumps, his grain grinders, and everything at the same time. Plus, he has a 1,000-foot deep well that... Its pump on its own might take 5 to 10 kilowatts just in electricity. So depending upon its flow rate, I mean, that's the type of person who needs a 27-kilowatt PTO because he's already got a tractor. I guess if you live in the suburbs but you have a tractor for some reason, you could set up Steve Harris's electric company and sell people power until the lights come back on. Yeah, you could. You could make a pretty good penny on it. Yeah, sure, I'll give you power. 100 bucks a day. <laughs> or you could be nice and do it for a reasonable price. <laughs> well, a hundred bucks a day and a blackout is reasonable because they spend a thousand dollars on a generator and, gen and the blackout right. won't last ten days. So that seems pretty good to me. 
That's that's true. But this is this is not going. You're not going to run a generator that size on something like the typical lawn tractor, even the larger one with a PTO. This is a, a more of a heavy duty machine, right? That we're talking about here. It is. It is. But I still like the idea of charging a hundred dollars a day to your neighbors because if they won't pay it on day one, they'll pay it on they day, two. day two. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're sitting over there eating eggs in the air conditioning. Um, but w- what are some problems associated with uh, with PTO generators? Okay, that's the big problem, Jack. PTOs have one major problem. You have to adjust the engine speed up or down to get the right frequency, 60 hertz, coming out of the generator. The standard for a PTO is 540 revolutions per minute or RPMs. So you have to hook up to the PTO, adjust the engine speed by hand, watch the meters on the generator for voltage and frequency, and then hook up your electrical loads. We call this following the load. For farm equipment like electric motors and such uh, such a slowdown in frequency and voltage is not a big deal. But it will mess with smaller motors in your house, such as your refrigerator and freezer, it won't fry your electronics, but it might make your computer reset or hiccup, so to speak. So what happens when you hook your house up and AC to the PTO generator? What happens when a big load comes on in your house and you've got a PTO generator is it puts a load on the PTO and then the voltage and the frequency drops. This will depend upon how big your load is, but you have to be by the tractor and adjust the throttle up to get more output, more RPMs. You have, a th- you have to throttle up because you just put more of a load on it. This is like what Jack says. You know, when his refrigerator kicks on, he hears the generator go, rrr, rrr, you know, a little bit more. So you have to manually follow the load with the tractor throttle. Note, there is a lever that controls the throttle to the PTO on your tractor. You don't have to sit on the seat of your tractor with your foot on the gas pedal. All of the other generators we are talking about today all have their engines connected to the generator so it can maintain the frequency at a relatively constant rate. The PTO is the only generator that does what we are talking about today, and it does not have this connection. You have to follow the load manually. You know what I'm talking about. You have your house running on a generator. You turn on the microwave oven to heat something up. The microwave is a big draw and 1,200 watts, and the lights will dim a bit. You'll hear the generator speed up and get louder. That's because the engine RPM fell, and the generator opened up its throttle automatically to accomplish the higher load and speed the generator uh, to get the generator back up to the right speed. There are two things with any engine. This is real brief. And thus, the same thing with the generator. There is speed and load. Speed is the speed at which a generator is turning, or RPM, in revolutions per minute for a generator. This will always be about the same speed because it affects the frequency and voltage output. But the load on the generator will vary. The load is directly measured by the manifold absolute pressure, or what we call MAP. This is what is most commonly referred to by you guys as the vacuum of the engine. So while the engine speed will remain relatively the same, the load will go up and down. The higher the load, the louder the generator will be. That's one of the reasons the inverter-style generators are so quiet at low load. There's not a lot of fuel and thus not a lot of bang going into the cylinders and out the exhaust. And just to make people understand, a real easy way to understand that, think if you're driving a big-ass truck up a big-ass hill. 
to maintain the same RPMs when you're going up that hill. You're going to hear the engine be louder, and the truck is going to be moving slower as it gears down to handle the load. It's not the same thing, but it's the easiest way to understand what Steve's talking about there is you're, you're ha asking the engine to do more while turning at the same speed. Correct. To drive harder, so to speak. 100%. Speed and load. Now, with that said about speed and load, if you have a 27-kilowatt uh, PTO generator hooked up to your tractor and you turn on your 1,200-watt microwave, do you think it's really going to affect the load and the speed of the PTO? Uh, no, it won't, okay? Maybe when your central AC kicks on, you might have to go and adjust the load, but that's it. You will see PTOs advertised with voltage and frequency controls, and they are they look a lot better, and they sound like they answer the problem we just talked about, and they're a lot fancier. they got LEDs and green and red LEDs to tell you if you're overspeed and underspeed, but in no way do they talk to the tractor engine or control it, so they really don't control the frequency. If you read the sales pitch, you'll think it does. When you watch the video, you'll see that it doesn't. This is impossible to achieve. The takeaway with PTO generators, what you don't forget is you are going to have to control the throttle or follow the load by yourself, but they can be a real powerful tool at a great price, assuming you already have a tractor with a PTO on it. And mind you, these can cost between $5,000 and $20,000 used just for the tractor. Yeah, I mean, I think that it really is the person that's going to have a tractor anyway that this makes the most sense for. So let's move on to the next generator. Whole house generators. Whole house generators are one of my favorite subjects, Jack. If money was not a problem, what do you really want in a generator for your house, Jack? I want it to make my life the same when the power's off is when the power's on. I want to be able to cook my food. I want to stay cool or stay warm. I want to watch TV, and I want to watch my neighbors pull their hair out. Right. You want to do nothing. You want it automatic, right? Absolutely. That's what a whole house generator does. Normally, it's fueled by either natural gas or propane. I've not seen any of them fueled by gasoline or diesel because you need to have a big tank, and then you have fuel storage issues. It's sized to power your entire house, including your central AC system, your furnace. It powers everything. They are best installed with an automatic transfer switch. I said automatic transfer switch. Okay. Generally that happens when the what happens when the power fails is the generator sits there waiting for 30 seconds for it to come back on. When the power doesn't come back on, it automatically throws the auto transfer switch and switches the entire electrical panel over to the generator and then the generator starts up and powers the house while the power failure is going. When the power comes back on for some number of minutes, it will turn itself off and transfer the house back to grid electricity without you doing anything. This is what you install for your parents or your grandparents or what you install if you do not ever want to have to mess with anything. Or if you're a guy that's always on the road and your wife's going to have to deal with it while you're not home. Yes, okay. That's kind of... Uh, uh, making gender specifics now, Jack, which is on PC of you. But well, you can say it's on PC, but watch my wife try to pull the start cord on my 6,500-watt uh, generator, and you'll see why. I agree 100%. <laughs> well, this generator will automatically turn itself on every week or every month. Usually it runs for between 10 and 15 minutes, and it doesn't transfer the power, so it just... 
it's not going to interrupt you what you're doing. It just starts and turns itself on to keep all the liquids moving and its parts going. Some of the cheaper whole house generators can be a little loud, so make sure it's located in an area outside your house that won't bother you if you're running. It's okay to bother the neighbors. Of course, it might bother the neighbors, but sure, but make sure it's set up right so its self-test does not start at 1 a.m. in the morning, as some people have complained, um, and it wakes everyone up. Uh, the better whole house generators are a lot more quiet. The cheaper ones are louder. Some come on for 12 minutes a week, like I said, others 15 minutes a month. You can change the schedule. I know several people with these installed, mostly people who are not technically or technically oriented or who not wanting to mess with anything. I have a friend in Tucson with one at her house hooked up to natural gas. She uses it during power failures that usually happen in monsoon season in Arizona at the end of summer when it's nice and hot, and it runs both her swamp cooler as well as her AC unit. So she's nice and cool, and she continues to do her writing on her computer and other business work while everyone else is interrupted and has to stop what they are doing. Yeah, and one thing I'll throw into that, if you have a pro come out and size your house and tell you what size generac or whatever high-end generator you're going to need, he's going to tell you you need a 25K generator, even if you don't. Uh, they will always try to size your generator as though you are going to turn on every stinking thing in your house at the same time, running full out. And I know a lot of people that are running 10, 12, 15K generators like this, and they never have a problem running you know, their households unless they just try to be stupid. If you turn all the burners on your electric stove at the same time, turn your air conditioner on 60 degrees, turn the hot water. I mean, if you do that, you can you can push them, but just be aware of that. Uh, I mean, you've probably noticed the same type of thing with the industry. Yeah, I mean, um, people in the South generally have all-electric homes, which is foreign to me living in the North. Sure. And you're right, their, electric, their hot water heater will be electric, their stove is electric, their AC, of course, is electric. Um, just heat, their turn your air conditioner off while you're taking a shower and letting the hot water heat up. I mean, it just... A 25, you know, like you said, you're only like the, the guy that was trying to sell me wanted to sell me a 25k generator. We're only 2k off of that 27k uh, that we were talking about with the PTO. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Now, I bet there's some howevers though, huh? Yeah, there are howevers with everything, and there are some, you know, automatic automatic whole house generator works automatically. You don't have to do anything. However. <laughs> If you go and read the manual for one of the most popular lines of whole house generators, which is Generac, it says the generator can run on synthetic oil, as it should. They vary from 5W30 to 10W30 normal automotive oil, depending upon the climate you live in. But, 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 Generac wants the first eight hours to run only on SAE30 oil for break-in period, and then you change the oil after eight hours, and then you switch over to 5W30 or 10W30 synthetic. This is eight hours after the power failure happens and your first time using a generator. Uh, <laughs> my wife ain't going to go out and drain the oil or anything else. If it was me, I would just turn it on and run my house for eight hours right now while the power is going. Sure. Make sure everything worked, you know, which you should do anyways. Uh, then change it over to the better synthetic oil that I highly rec and I highly recommend Mobile One as my favorite synthetic oil. FYI, 
synthetic oil, Mobile One, is a lot cheaper on Amazon than it is in the store. I need 10 quarts of oil for my Dodge Diesel every time I change my oil. And 8 bucks a quart, that gets expensive. Another, however, on the whole house generator is you need to turn the unit off every 24 hours to check the oil level. <coughs> Excuse me. To see if it needs any more oil, there is also a low oil shutoff on it as well. So you got to check it every 24 hours to see if the oil's gone down. Which it really shouldn't unless something's wrong, but you definitely want to check it because the consequences are not good. But on another note, once I've got that better oil in there, how often do I need to do an oil change uh, in my uh, in my you know whole house backup generator? The Generac manuals, as well as every forum on the Internet, and all of the trailer life people, the people who live in trailers and travel around the country for their retirement, you know, God bless them. Uh, people I've all talked to say the same thing. Every manual, every person says the same thing. Change your oil every 100 hours of operation. So that would be four days of 24-7 operation. Many of the whole house generators have an oil drain hose to make this easier, okay? So you don't have to put a pan underneath it. You can drain it into a bottle. But you need to stock up on oil because depending on the size of the generator and the engine, the oil filter capacity and everything else can take anywhere between one and up to two quarts of oil for the larger generators. Generac wants you to change the oil filter every 100 hours as well because I'm sure they sell them. So now you need to stock up on engine oil, engine oil filters for your automatic whole house generator that you're going to have to replace every four days. If the generator was a car driving 60 miles per hour, then in 100 hours, think of this, it would gone 6,000 miles. Mobile One extends this to 10,000 to 15,000 miles. The bottle says 15. I change mine every 10 to 12. So if you went full synthetic on a whole house generator, I'd say you could push it and run it a week 24-7 without changing your oil, but still try to maintain the every four-day schedule. Now, these are a big investment. I mean, we're talking many thousands of dollars by the time we look at bringing propane in, getting them installed, getting them wired in, uh, the, the cost of the generator itself. So one of the biggest questions people have when they're making that type of an investment is, so what's the life cycle of this thing? How long can I expect it to last? I went right to Generac for this information, and I got it from this information from the factory. The class of generators, such as the 10 kilowatt or less ones that use standard Briggs and Stratton engines or small Honda engines or Tecumseh's or, you know, whatever flavor is that month, can expect to live for up to 3,000 hours if you change the oil filter and do the other suggested maintenance schedule stuff. If you ran it 24-7, that would be 125 days of life before your engine was dead. So basically four months. So it's not something you're going to have to power your house all the time for an entire year. If you only ran it eight hours a day and did this for a year, then you'd be near the end of its expected life. 3,000 hours is not the life for all generators. I have reports from multiple people, from trailer life people, that uh, one guy has run his Honda EU2000i, the one I own in my favorite, for just over 12 thousand hours of runtime before the engine finally gave up the ghost and died and he had to buy a new generator that would be a completely worn out generator that would be equal to 500 days of operation on a 24 7 basis or 
1,500 days, or about four years, on an eight-hour day basis. Keep in mind, you would need about 120 quarts of oil to do this. So for you guys who are doing prepping for a year or longer, you need to keep this in mind. 120 quarts at $7 a quart would be $840 in just oil, and that's almost the price of a good inverter generator just in oil for a whole year of operation. Awesome stuff, man. So what is next in generators that you're going to talk about with us today, man? I've gotten emails on this. Generators on trailers. These are generators. They start in a small end around 20 kilowatts, and they are generally around 40 kilowatts or bigger, and they go all the way up to 1,000 kilowatts, a megawatt, and those are in semi-tractor trailers, okay? you got to have a semi-tractor pull them. You'll see these generators at county fairs, street carnivals, and other outdoor festivities. Any place you need a lot of outdoor power. Brand names will be Caterpillar, Kohler, Yanmar, and others. Sometimes they'll have lights attached to them to light up an entire area. They can be purchased, rented everywhere, and they have a significant number of them and can be found on the military surplus market. Your government sells these cheap on the surplus market, and I have lots of people writing to me telling me that they've got them on the surplus market. I did have one of these. I had a 40-kilowatt diesel trailer generator for a long time a long time ago when I was doing biomass work on a farm, and it powered everything we had to do very well. Well, what are some of the details that people have to look for in these generators? And I've got your notes, so I know you're going to talk about the three-phase thing, and that's that's a big issue for me because I've had people say, well, you, you can't water these things into a house. Is there a misunderstanding there? What what are some of the gotchas that you can have with the, the specifically these mill surplus ones? These generators, especially the mill surplus ones that you mentioned, can come with a lot of things that won't be any good to most home or farm preppers. They generally will have 120 volts out, and they'll have 240 volts out, but they can also have 480 volts out three-phase. So unless you're going to power industrial machinery like a great big lathe or a mill, 480 volts, three phases, will not do you much good. Now, listen carefully. If it's 240 volts, three phase, you can still use it to power your 240 volt equipment, especially like if you have a welding machine, which is a very important tool for long-term prepping because you got to fix stuff yourself. But if you have 240 volts, three phase, you can use the 240 volts, one phase at a time. That's what we have in all our houses. All our houses are called single-phase electricity or one-phase electricity. It's all 60 hertz or 60 cycles per second. If you want a detailed description of what three-phase electricity is, please look it up in Wikipedia. It's got a great over- overview of it that I don't need to cover in the show. There's actually two pages on it on Wiki. Uh, one, the one you want is the one that doesn't have all the mathematical equations. Consult with your local electrician about hooking up the generator, and you really want an expert to give you a little bit of a class, a little education on your generator. But what you do is you can get a single phase out of three phase by connecting L1 to neutral to get 240 volts single phase out, and you can get another 240 volts single phase, a whole separate circuit, by connecting L2 to neutral. 
do not connect between L3 and neutral, okay? Only L1 and neutral and L2 and neutral. So a single 240-volt three-phase socket will give you two separate circuits of 240-volt single phase. Now some notes. You're not converting 240 volts to 120, okay? The 340-volt, the 480-volt three-phase, you're not converting that down to 240-volt single-phase either, Okay? Watch out for the military ones made for foreign power. Remember, the U.S. government has military bases all over the world, and they have generators at those bases that run on the same power as that country. Parts of Japan and other third world holes will have 50 hertz. This you do not need, and you are not going to use nor convert 50 hertz to 60 hertz. Also, very important, some of the government surplus generators will come with 400 hertz. This is not uncommon on the, on the surplus mark, uh, military surplus generators. Airplanes run on 400 hertz. These are designed to give power to an airplane when it's sitting there on the tarmac. You do not need 400 hertz. You are not converting 400 hertz to 60 hertz. No, are you ever going to be able to use 400 hertz. So if it's a 400 hertz generator, that's why it's probably being sold on the surplus market for a couple hundred bucks because no one can use it. So here's the takeaway. The only specs you care about on a military surplus generator or on a trailer generator will be, one, it's 120 volts AC output, single phase, 60 hertz. And two, you will only be concerned with 240-volt output, 60 hertz, of course, but single-phase or three-phase will be acceptable. You'll have to make some special cables to go from three-phase to single-phase, 240, but that's not hard. Have someone locally help you who understands electricity and the exact generator that you have, like an electrician. Now, we start buying surplus crap from the military. There's probably some things to look out for when buying a generator like this. So we know that it's not like a billion years old or completely worn out, right? Yeah, well, one, there's a date on it. But the second thing is there's an hour meter. All these big generators have hour meters on them, and they'll tell you how many hours the generator has been running. If you want to get an idea of what these look like, you can go Google it, or you can go to trailergenerator.com. That's T-R-A-I-L-E-R-G-E-N-E-R-A-T-O-R. Dot com and find a bunch of them used, some of them really used up, and you'll see a lot of trailer generators, so you'll get an idea of what's out there and what they cost and what the age of some of these are. They are also on eBay. Just go look up trailer generator or military generator. But generally the ones on eBay, some are government auction ones that other people have bought and are now reselling to you. It's better to be the person getting it from the government auction in the first place. But then again, you got to know what you're doing, what you're looking at, etc. I have also found several trailer generators and trailer <laughs> generator welders and more on my local Craigslist. So that's craigslist.org for you people out there. So that's a good place to look. In fact, I found a guy selling a mint condition Honda EU3000i for only 1100 bucks. With only, oh, wow. five, with only five hours on it because he got it and realized, well, it was too small for what he wanted to do. <laughs> that's like a $2,600 generator, so that's that's a great deal. Yeah, and if, if he listened to this show, he would have known big or small. Yeah. <laughs> the key words to search for on eBay and Craigslist are trailer 
generator. Okay, not generators, trailer generator. These generators will also classify as long life generators. Hmm. Long life generator isn't that the uh, the final category we need to talk about then? Because you know we talked about these generators that last a year if run every day. So are there longer life? And, and what you got on that? Yes, very long life generators. Now I know there are some of you out there who are trying to prepare for a decade, and I took the time to address this area of long life generators just for you. I wanted this show to be all-encompassing. Jack, how many TSP people have asked you about preparations and storage for multiple years to a decade? Uh, quite a bit. I think a lot of people kind of use the, the right at the one-year preparedness mark is a pretty good benchmark, but there's a lot of people looking further than that. Yep, that's, that's me as well. I'm the one-year type of person. Energy for 10 years. This one... Is this one is one of the times I think solar panels would be better than um, a long life generator. This is one of the times I'd recommend solar panels. Now, Lister diesel engines for small scale power. The third world runs on Lister engines. They have their own famous green color like John Deere does, but their green is a bit darker. I have a Lister diesel engine that I got surplus, and it is an incredible engine. <laughs> Lister is now called Lister Petter, and I'll put a link up at solar1234.com to them and their other Lister resources. They have distributor locators for finding dealers that sell the engines and the gen sets. There are stories of Listers in the third world that have not been shut off for 10 years. They change the oil on the, on the fly, they fuel it as it goes, and it keeps on running. These listers are generally slower-turning generators, so they're not making as much wear on the inside. Another key word when looking for generators, you'll see them listed as slow-turning generators. The engine turns slow with a lot of torque, like a diesel does, and it's geared up to turn the generator to higher RPM, or the generator has multiple poles on it, so it can turn at 1,800 RPM and produce the same electricity as if it was turning at 3,600 RPM. 60 hertz, or 60 cycles per second, times 60 seconds in a, in 60, sorry, 60 seconds in a minute equals 3,600 RPM. That's why all of our cheap generators turn at 3,600 RPM, because it's 60 times 60. I'll backtrack a second and say why the inverter generator, number two that we, we talked about, can run slow and quiet is because they're turning to make a DC voltage at only the power level they need at that moment, and then the electronics, the inverter, turns it into a pure sine wave AC. You can't get a lister. If you can't get a lister, you can go with any other high-quality diesel generator system. Diesels are made a lot stronger than gasoline engines and are generally known for having a lot longer life than a gasoline engine. Diesel engines also turn a lot slower than a gasoline engine. You get a lot less wear on them. My top RPM on my Dodge diesel is only 3,000 RPM, whereas if this was a gasoline engine in a pickup truck, it'd be 6,000 to 7,000 RPMs. Keep yeah, and they do last, dude. I you know, I drive I like my diesel truck and my diesel car, and the Jetta is like a, a cult car. And I've yep. had people come up to me and go, "How many miles you got on it?" And I'll, and I'll you know, about one hundred thirteen thousand, and they'll laugh and they'll they'll point to theirs that's ten years older, and they'll go, "I got seven hundred thousand miles on that car." Yeah, uh, Volkswagen make 
It's one of the finest diesel engines ever in the world. In fact, it's even more efficient than a fuel cell. Um, you want an engine that lasts forever with good fuel economy, go get a uh, VW Jetta or other similar diesel engine. The bug has them, too. Absolutely. My point just was the reliability, though, of diesel in general as <laughs> gas. Very true. Keep in mind, these are diesel engines, and even if it did live for 10 years, you'd have to have 10 years of fuel storage. Now, That's a great point. I mean, if you, I want to generate the last 10 years. you got to put gas or you know, diesel or something in it for 10 years. Well, I'm going to cover that right now. I use 0.7 gallons every 10 hours in my Lister diesel engine. I ran it in the bed of my pickup truck when I traveled with a camper, so that uh, that would be a gallon every 14 hours. That's pretty good. My Honda EU2000i uses a gallon in about every six hours at half load or less. So if you ran six hours a day for 10 years, that would require 1,600 gallons of diesel fuel for a Lister. 1,600 gallons. Considering you can buy a 500-gallon farm fuel tank that stands on a stand so you can gravity feed it uh, for farm use, this would be somewhat achievable. You could store 1,600 gallons of fuel in three 500-gallon containers. Keep in mind, you need oil, spare parts, air, oil filters, diesel treatment, basic maintenance to, to do this for 10 years, but this is something that is somewhat achievable. <clears throat> Again, um, 10 years long, solar panels. And the thing is, you got to have spare batteries, and I'll talk to you about how to keep batteries and have them live past 10 years in my battery show. A little plug for it. And I think one thing we need to think about is you mentioned batteries there. When you start looking at multi-year preparedness, I don't care how much your budget is, you need to be thinking multi-facets to support that. So even if you could have the generator and the fuel, bringing things like alternative energy solar panels, battery backups, and combining those things is a much better path to longevity than any single solution. Yeah, you're not talking two as one, one as none. You're talking five as one. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, for details on the storage of gasoline, diesel, kerosene, and water, if you do want to try this, see my previous TSP show on the subject. I did a complete subject on fuel and fuel storage. It's at www.solar1234.com. The other type of generator you'd go for in a very long life situation is one that is run off of a car type of engine, like a GM Vortec industrial engine. They have, gener they have generators that have GM Vortec engines on them. This is the type of generator you'd go for if you had your own natural gas well on your property. Yes, many people in different areas of the USA, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Texas, have natural gas wells on their property, and they basically have an unlimited amount of fuel. Most of these people are also selling the natural gas to a utility company, but the utility lets them have all the gas they want for free. But if the world went to hell, you can always turn off the line to the utility and keep all the gas for yourself. The smallest car engine type of generator I can find that uses a GM engine is 14 kilowatts, okay? And it costs about $6,000, and it comes on a skid. Uh, also, nicely, the oil change frequency on this engine is only every 500 hours, not every 100 hours. That's about every 20 days on a 24-7 basis. Keep in mind that a generator running on natural gas or propane burns very cleanly, and it does not contaminate the engine oil very much. Plus, this type of engine is a liquid-cooled engine, and thus the engine runs cooler 
than an air-cooled generator engine, and the oil does not break down as fast. This is another great reason to use synthetic oils in a small generator. The synthetic oils can take a lot higher temperature, a lot higher heat, without breaking down than regular oil can. You want all the safety margin you can get, especially in a disaster. Okay, these uh, car motor generators you're talking about here, where can people find these types of generators? Because I I spent a lot of time in Lowe's for various things, and I always look at generators there just because I like them. I ain't never seen anything like that there. So where do you find something like this? Well, the Lister diesel engines, the old-style Lister diesel engines with the big flywheels, are no longer being imported into the United States because they do not meet EPA emission requirements. On one of the greatest generators on the planet is no longer available to us in the USA, especially not in California because of the wonderful EPA. Now, Lister engine parts and the generator I mentioned that uses a car engine, and there are newer Listers that are being imported, they can be found at www.generatorsales.com. That's generator, S-A-L-E-S, dot com. I have been using the company for generators since about 2003. They have never let me down. My friends buy from them. Mention TSP and get a discount on shipping. I made an arrangement with them just for you guys because I don't think they really realize how many people are going to be calling them. So I said, give my friends a discount. You can ask for Bill and tell him Steve Harris and TSP sent you. You'll get a discount on your shipping. Uh, if you order online and not over the phone, you have to put TSP in your name or your business name or in the second address line, so they'll give you the discount. They don't have a comment or, or coupon section. They're a little bit behind the times, but not much. <clears throat> they have a discount on shipping for TSP people, but that was the best I could do. Um, now, while I like these guys a lot, I encourage you to shop around and do a lot of reading and a lot of YouTube watching. At least you can go to generatorsales.com, and they have great information and good videos, and you can see all of the different types of generators and what they look like, and so you see them in videos and get an idea of their prices and what they kind of go for. Um, that way, if you find one locally or used, you'll have a good idea of what you're looking at. I think uh, no one, I don't think there's any one website out there that has more generators in one place, from the big trailer semi ones all the way down to the cheapest ones than, than that website, Generator Sales. Um, look on Craigslist as well as eBay. eBay has reasonable number of complete Lister diesel engines and generators, both air and water-cooled. Many times Lister engines are going to go for a premium. That's because they are a premium engine. Well, Jack, that just about wraps it for engines, and we've gone a little long. Uh, can we just keep on going and have how you hook up the power to your house go right into another consecutive show? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll just run another show tomorrow, guys, with this, because it's uh, usual. Steve does such an awesome job of putting together so much information. We just can never fit, uh, it seems like, a topic this this large anyway into a single show. So, Steve, thanks for this, and we'll bring you back tomorrow with part two of this. Uh, and as always, I appreciate you, and I'll put links to all of your resources that you mentioned in Solar1234, etc., in the show notes today. And thanks for always putting out such a great amount of effort uh, to help the audience out. Okay, great. Guys, I'm putting pictures and links to everything on Solar1234.com. Go there and look at it. You don't have to buy a damn, darn thing. You can go buy it at Walmart. You can go buy it anywhere you want. Jack, it's wonderful. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. I'm going to talk to you all about how to hook up your house to these generators, to your inverter, 
and how to run natural gas or propane to your house and to your inverter. And like I said, this is the most dangerous part of anything I'm ever going to talk to you about. This is going to be the most dangerous show ever. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with Stephen Harris, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.